Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. It is another day to tell some scary stories. It's another day in October. October is a scary month. Yes. Scary stories and you're wearing abound. Your boo shirt. I sure am. I, with my ghost on it. My ghost sweater. That's right. Get ready for the season. Well, you know what, Holly? There is a topic we haven't covered yet. It, in my opinion, it is one of the scariest themes in Halloween movies. Do you know what my story is today? No. That's right, Holly. It's zombies. <laughs> you were supposed to have guessed it. Oh, and shoot. I had written, you're right. It's zombies. I didn't think you wanted me to give it away. Oh, that's okay. Well, I wondered if there were any real life zombie stories and where mm. the idea originated from. So today I'm going to be doing all my story all about zombies. Great. Zombies. Zombies are scary. Yeah. I'm giving you a definition now. Okay. Okay, class. Okay, class. Listen up. <laughs> I feel like I'm like some instructor as always. Zombies are the undead, reanimated corpses driven by a primal need of hunger. They are a shell of their former self and can come back from the dead in very many different ways. Number one, from the practice of voodoo or hoodoo, which uses magical means or spells to bring a dead person back to life. Number okay. two. A scientific phenomenon called rigor mortis. <laughs> and number three, from a viral or pathogenic outbreak. Hmm. The word zombie originates from nazambi, a West African term translated to mean spirit of a dead person. And zonbi, Z-O-N-B-I, is a Haitian Creole word that refers to a dead person that's been reanimated by magical means. Hmm, okay. Haitian folklore usually featured bokors as the necromancers of the dead. So I guess uh, their term bokors are like their priests. Okay. Um, these practitioners of the dark arts would resurrect the deceased, though they'd have no free will or speech. They are helpless under the control or the power of the master who raised them. I think one of the movies that really defined the modern day view of zombies was that of George A. Romero and his Night of the Living Dead Concur. film. Concur. That's a great movie. Yeah, it set the bar for all other zombie movies to sure copy did. in years to follow. Brains! Yeah. His film portrayed the idea that the living dead would devour other living humans, that they could only be destroyed by damage to their brains, and that they could increase their numbers or population with an infected bite. They were mere empty flesh sacks devoid of a soul and reduced to obeying a call that was mysterious in origin or purpose. When I think of zombies, it always involves an apocalyptic end of the world scenario where humans are losing the battle of civility, health, and all things holy. <laughs> but besides the folklore or idea of zombies, are there any true stories yeah, of this that's, I would like nightmarish to know that. monster? Yeah. yeah. Before I researched this, I think the real life stories I've heard about 
are really just cases of people who are pronounced dead. And then they weren't really quite dead, you know, just like mostly dead. Okay. And then they came, they wake back up Mm -hmm. and people are like, oh my God, they've risen from the dead. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why, you know, it used to be so popular to wait several days and have like a wake or viewing before they shove you in the old fire chopper down the hole. Right. Or they have that dead reiner situation. mm -hmm. Or weird. Yeah. They bury you with a bell. So you can ring. You can ring it and mm-hmm. you wake up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a, yeah, there was a story I read about a three-year-old girl in the Philippines who was pronounced dead from a high fever. And at her funeral, a neighbor decided to lift back the coffin lid to say her goodbyes when she saw the girl's head twitch. Can you imagine? That? Oh my God, I'd be so freaked out. The girl was given some water and made a full recovery. But these types of stories, while remarkable, for me, they don't quite fit the zombie criteria because... For one, they don't become monsters. You know, they have to be monsters, not just wake mm-hmm. up from the dead. Right. The zombie stories that terrify me are the supernatural ones yes. involving conjuring and spells. Yes. The paranormal. This type of zombie originates in Haiti and is super freaky to me. Take, for instance, the story of Clervius Narcisse. He was born January 2nd, 1922 and died 1994. He was a Haitian man who claimed to have been turned into a zombie by a bokor and forced to work as his slave. Clervius was 40 years old when he checked himself into a hospital, which was primarily run by American medical staff. Clervius complained of a severe fever, fatigue, and coughing up blood. Despite medical treatment, he died shortly after two separate doctors pronounced him dead. I, li- I like how he said he died shortly after two separate doctors pronounced him dead. I don't know why I wrote it that way. <laughs> That's pretty funny, though. <laughs> I don't know. Funny. He was really, really dead he after was, the second doctor. Was he like, was no, really, no, I think he really is dead. No, he really is. Well, his body was kept in a cold storage facility, and then he was buried several days later. In 1980, 20 years after he was buried, a man approached Angelina Narcisse and claimed he was her dead brother. The 20-year gap made it impossible to immediately recognize him, but there was enough of a resemblance for her to question him further. He proved his identity by confirming personal information about their past together, including a childhood nickname she would call him. He also had private details regarding other members of their family that only an immediate family member would know. Hmm. Eventually, everyone who previously knew Clervius believed him to be telling the truth. Really? Yes. Huh. He told Angelina that before he died, a bokor, a Haitian priest, put a spell on him to appear dead. He was aware of everything going on around him, but could not move or open his eyes during his burial. Can you imagine oh, that? God, how like scary. listening to the doctors pronounce you dead oh. and knowing you're going to be buried alive. Yeah. And you can't do a dang thing That's about it. That's terrifying. That's worse than sleep paralysis. Yeah. Well, maybe it's the same. I don't know, because you feel like you're going to die during that, too. Mm-hmm. After a few short hours, the Bokar then exhumed his body and made him drink a potion, which made it impossible for him to disobey. He said he was forced into a life of slavery, working on a sugar plantation quite a long distance away from his hometown. Clervius said the paste-like substance was given to him regularly to keep him docile and from having any memories or critical thinking skills. Wow. He claimed that most of the plantation workers, like him, had also been trapped into forced labor and given the drug. After the Bocor died, Clervius regained his mental strength and escaped, returning home to find his family. 
He became the subject of scientific research as he was considered an actual zombie. His case has been investigated and multiple theories have been discussed, as it is unsettling that two separate doctors swore he had no heartbeat. Some think that Clervius was given a poison from the pufferfish, which slows your heart rate down to a faint, undetectable beat. Hmm. Back in 1964, DNA testing was not widely practiced, and due to religious beliefs, graves usually were not exhumed unless permission by the family was granted. So I couldn't find any information if that was done to make a final confirmation of his identity. Clervius died his second death in 1994 at the age of 72. And I wonder, Holly, if he opted for a new grave site or if he returned to his former. <laughs> oh, my God. Hopefully the Haitian priest guy didn't do another hex on him. That would be terrible. I don't think I'd return to the same tomb. No. Although the guy's dead, but, uh, you know, he knows people. Yeah, I'd, I'd want to be cremated probably. <laughs> but it also doesn't make sense to pay for it twice. So. No, of course not. Yeah, but, you know, you can't find all the answers to questions that I ask. No. On stories. Really? Yeah. You just get, you just get the basics. Mm. You actually have to go there and interview people. You have to really do your own which personal we never investigating. Will. Yeah. We'll never, we never will do that. <laughs> I can't get the actual answers. I know. It sucks. Haitian sources describe the ritual of zombification as punishment for people who are seeking revenge or needing a willing participant to perform crimes on their behalf, or in this case, work. Did he explain how he got away from this guy? The guy died. Oh. The guy died, yeah. Oh, okay. And, and I'm going to explain how this works because when the Bokar dies, you're kind of released from it. But I'll okay. go into it more. Okay. So their zombification ritual goes like this. They will use blood and hair from their targeted victim and symbolic dolls to control them. The mixture is called a powder strike. Hmm. And it is made up of ground animal bones and parts and human remains and a list of mystical herbs and spices. Hmm. The Bokor had several methods to administer this powdery mix. A blow dart, injecting it under the skin, or forcing the victim to swallow or eat the mixture. Within a few short minutes, the victim will appear dead as their breathing is also reduced, and since they cannot move or verbalize anything, they are mistakenly pronounced dead. In Haiti, the heat and lack of refrigeration make it a custom to bury the body quickly before it can decay. The Bokar, within eight hours of burial, digs up the body to avoid suffocation from lack of oxygen. It is believed that the soul hovers over the body or remains connected to the individual for up to seven days. Oh, wow. Huh. The soul of the person can be trapped after the person dies by spreading the mixture in the form of a cross on the entryway of the victim's residence. So you're trapping the soul in the house? Uh, I don't know why you would do it in the entryway. Yeah, probably because a lot of the wakes take place in the house. Right, yeah. Keeping the zombie alive is an easier process as the soul does not actually leave the body but is split into two during the ritual. Some think the Bokar replaces the remaining soul with a Loa demon or spirit that is controlled by the Bokar. The true human soul is captured in a clay jar or container and wrapped with an article of clothing or personal item of the victim. The Bokar then revives the victim with another mixture called 
the zombies cucumber. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> the zombies cucumber. They have such cute names that for their potions. Very sexual. It kind of does. <laughs> I know. Okay. I was like, what ingredient is in this? <laughs> cucumber, you say? Yeah. Well, it causes hallucinations and nightmares. Hmm. After the bad effect of the trip dissipates, it leaves the victim in a submissive, confused state, unable to recall its former self. Wow. So sad. That's pretty crazy. Haitian folklore states that salt is the kryptonite of the bokor. Besides just waiting for a bokor to die, there is one thing that can free the slave. If a person suspects they have encountered a zombie, they can feed them salt and it will return their mental faculties and free them from their enslavement and zombie personality. That's why I believe in a high salt diet. Because it keeps me safe from zombie possession. Oh, I didn't know you believed in a high salt it, diet. Isn't it weird though? It's always salt that is the thing that can pretty much cure everything. any paranormal. You know, they always say put salt circles around you. I know you, why. Or put salt circles around your house. Not only does it keep out slugs and spiders, but it also stops demonic possession. That's I didn't incredible. Know, I didn't know it kept out spiders. I, think I it thought does. that was like mint, like peppermint or something, like peppermint mm. oil. Well, it keeps out a lot of insects. And it tastes good. And it's really delicious. But it's really bad for you. <laughs> but only if you're a bokar. I guess. Yeah. So if a person suspects they have encountered a zombie, they can feed them salt and it will return their mental faculties and free them from their enslavement and zombie personality. Before they completely revert to their former selves, they are compelled to attack the bokor who enslaved them and depending on the state of their physical body will then return to their former grave to die or have a complete restoration of their former self revenge yes yeah, so i think the key piece here is that the bokor still needs to die in every scenario for the zombie to be free so salt so you need to feed the zombie salt and the zombie comes out of his zombified state and gives salt to the bokor who then dies yeah okay well, there you go problem solved yeah because you first feed the salt to the zombie and mm -hmm. then the zombie feed, doesn't feed the salt to the bokar but just kills him oh he doesn't have to use salt i don't think so i mean maybe he can throw it at him and like blind him <laughs> in, the, in the process i mean these guys burning. are probably all knowing i mean they can raise somebody from the dead it's pretty i, I pretty don't like cool how can skill. you sneak up on them i don't know you just gotta throw some salt their way sprinkle and it on their them. hair or something something anyway psychologists think that the culture's folklore from the past perpetuates these stories and while there may be spells or potions made from practitioners of the hoodoo or voodoo religion, most of it is embellished, a result of preconditioned responses to the superstitions of the people who witness and hear the stories. Although it is rare, there are several undeniable reports in medical journals of people using certain neurotoxins or poisonous substances to induce paralysis in people and then revive them. A British medical journal, The Lancet, published in 1997 three credible accounts of zombies. One of the accounts involved a Haitian woman whose family buried her and claimed she reappeared to them three years later. Huh. They agreed to investigate her tomb and found her casket was filled with heavy stones. No body in sight. Really? No body mm, wow. in sight. Creepy. Very creepy. Wanting to help the research, the family also allowed her to be admitted into the hospital for further studies. Hmm. 
In studying the history of zombies, there are many who think the idea for the Western concept stems from a similar behavior found in infected rabies victims. Huh, really? Rabies victims? rabies. Huh. The person or animal who becomes infected with the virus tend to exhibit similar physical progressions of consciousness deterioration and violent, terrifying fits of aggressiveness. Scientists are currently studying the evolution of the rabies virus and wondering if it can mutate enough to be spread rapidly and create a mass population of zombies, much like what we see in shows like Contagion and The Walking Dead. Right. I'm pretty confident if scientists are trying to study it, they will inadvertently create the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's gain a function. That's a given. Gain a function zombie research. (laughs) If that actually happens, we definitely need to film this mob coming towards us doing the thriller dance together. (laughs) I want to see that. I want to see like a bunch of people out in the street, people out there, all twitching, and Mm. then just somebody like playing the thriller song. Yeah. And we're all going to die, but it doesn't matter because like we're dancing. (laughs) The more recent news regarding zombies always seems to coincide, though, with drug use. You know, somebody is snorting rat poison or something and they go out and they try to eat someone. Right. Stories of people on PCP were awful. Do you remember like hearing those about how people hallucinating would somehow think, Mm -hmm. you know, eating their fellow human is a delicacy. Bath salts. Right? They would try to eat okay. people on basalts? Yes. Did I jump the shark on your story? No, yeah, I'm okay. glad because my next story is I'm saying, Holly, do you remember when back in 2012 to 2015, there was a rash of stories coming out of China about zombies? Hmm. And the crazy part is some of these, though, weren't drug related. Hmm. One story was a bus driver who was so upset that another car was blocking him in the street. Mm-hmm. Instead of waiting or talking sensibly to the woman driver, he gets out and starts to jump up and down on the hood of her car. And then when she tries to get out and stops him, he just goes into a full feeding frenzy and starts <gasps> biting into her face. Oh, my God. So this lady lived, but her poor face needed cosmetic surgery. Oh, my word. Yes. And later it came out that this bus guy was just drunk. And many <laughs> who believe in the Zheng Xi believe he was possessed. So this Zheng Xi is like a monster. They have a legend over there huh. about a hopping zombie monster they call the Zheng Xi. Huh. And that tries to attack and suck out the life force energy of its victims. Oh, wow. Yeah. So... They all believe this guy got possessed by this demon. Anyway, something odd was going on in 2012 because Florida also had zombie stories. You may have remembered hearing this one, Holly. Um, And I think this is what you're referring to. A man by the name of Rudy Eugene decided the Florida sun was too much for him and stripped naked, attacking a homeless man Ronald Popo was such a violent frenzy that everyone reported he had been under the influence of bath salts. So yeah. I do remember this coming out. Yep. Everybody was like, oh my God, people are doing bath salts. Look at what they're doing. They're going nutso. Well, Eugene was found devouring the face of Popo and he could only be stopped after several rounds of bullets were fired into him. Oh my God. He later died of his bullet wounds, but poor Popo was severely disfigured, but he he did survive the zombie attack. Oh, my God. But the reason, the real reason for Eugene's motives are unknown, and the toxicology reports, no, he was not on any drugs of hallucinogenics or bath salts. No, the only thing they found 
was a small trace of marijuana in his system. Really? So yeah. did he just have a mental break then? Probably, but people are just baffled. Like, why would you go that crazy that you want to eat somebody's flesh? So people are still baffled as to why he went crazy. Mm -hmm. Back before COVID-19 happened, the most terrifying sickness was that of Ebola. In an effort to quickly subdue the rapid spread and possible contamination by the body fluids, people were quickly stuffed into body bags without really knowing and confirming that they were truly dead. Oh boy, this was during Ebola? Ebola, mm. yeah. There were many stories that reported witnesses seeing movements within the bags and people unzipping themselves out of their body bag <laughs> only to stumble and fall, dying again just a few minutes later. Wow. Many of these accounts were just of people mostly dead who were getting one more burst of willpower before truly succumbing to their fate. Huh. But it was really sad and freaky to, to hear about it. And a lot of the media was showing some footage, which was really sad. That's, and yeah. it was scary. It, it did remind me of like a zombie apocalypse, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, I bet. Anyways, stories started to circulate and zombie mania became popular for a few years. The CDC Centers for Disease Control and Prevention thought it would be a clever or funny idea to create a zombie preparedness website. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where they give instructions and tips on how to survive a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. The site stirred more questions as some people believed it was not a joke. <laughs> but with so much backlash, they eventually removed it from their site. Mm. They also had a fundraiser marathon in 2012 called Run for Your Lives, <laughs> which was a whole zombie theme. Ugh. And the proceeds then went to the Red Cross. It was to promote a healthy lifestyle and some zombie fun. Runners were encouraged to infect other runners by stealing a flag they carried. The course had perils and many of the staff dressed up as zombies to cheer them on. <laughs> so the CDC, you know. Yeah was kind of making light of our zombie, you know, yeah. paranoia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it kind of backfired on us. Yeah. People were like, this is not funny. Yeah, yeah. You know, zombies could be very real. That's right. I think we talked yeah. about that once at the I think Paranormal Paranoid News segment I or think something. we did. We were like, yeah. what is this? Yeah, They're, they know it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It must have been back in 2020 or 2019. Yeah, mm -hmm. which surprises me that they would do that right on top of what was going uh, on in China. <laughs> I know. We were all looking at what's happening in China. We're yeah. like, why would you do that? Yeah. So out of curiosity, which of the zombie movies are your favorite? What are you going to be watching I, this Halloween? I like Night of the Living Dead, but the ones where they run really fast are good. I like um, uh, the one on HBO... Um, were the, the Last of Us. The Last the of last Us, of us was very scary. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, I liked that one. And, uh, you know, the the ones where they run are good because they're a lot more threatening than the ones where they just kind of slowly, like, fumble towards you, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, The Last of Us was good. Um, I don't know. I never really got into The Walking Dead or 28 Days Later. I like 28 Days Later. Um, yeah. I don't know. I guess those are. The, what about you? Mm -hmm. No, I think, I think, um, you know, the old ones yeah. from like the, the black and white classics mm -hmm. are good. Yeah. It for me, it it was hard because I think I talked about this too on another podcast episode where um, I had to be a zombie as an extra oh, on yeah. Grimm. That's right. It was very difficult. Yeah, because like 
which zombie do you want me to be? There are <laughs> so, so many. many different kinds of zombies. There's ones that run really fast. There's yeah. ones that are like Very slow and eat brains. Scary and they moan or yeah. like yeah. So it was it was actually kind of a challenge. Yeah. And you wouldn't think being dead would be so hard, right? Yeah. You know, I'm like, yeah. Can you play dead? Yes, I can play a dead woman. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm a zombie. <laughs> no, kind of hard. Yeah. Anyway, what do you have for us tonight? Oh, well, thank you, Carol. That was very good. Zombies, oh, nicely done. You're thank welcome. you. I just went with a standard haunted house story. Well, you can't beat those. I know. They're pretty good for this time of year, I think. So in Gardner, Massachusetts, sits a very old and creepy looking house. It has a second empire Victorian architectural design, which is the same as the Norman Bates Psycho House and the Adams Family House. Nice. Mm -hmm. The house has a gothic street appeal, painted light gray with white and purple trim and black shutters. So that should give you a pretty good visual of what the house looks like. And here's a photo of it if you want to really feast your eyes on that sucker. Ooh, that's super creepy. Mm -hmm. That does look just like the Adams family home. And uh, in the uh, Bates Motel house. Oh, yeah. For sure. I can see that too. Yeah. It's that very old uh, Victorian architecture just looks, it looks like it's a Gothic mansion, mm -hmm. essentially. The house is called the S.K. Pierce Mansion, and it's considered to be one of the most haunted houses in Massachusetts and in the United States of America. The house was built in 1875 by Sylvester K. Pierce, who made his fortune in furniture, particularly chairs. I'd always have a chair, Did Holly. that sound correct when I said particularly? Mm, particularly. Particularly chairs. But <laughs> Pierce had his 7,000 square foot mansion built just across the street from his furniture factory, making for an easy commute to work. I love that. I know, me too. Working right across the street. When finished, the house had 11 foot high ceilings, 10 bedrooms, two and a half bathrooms, hand carved moldings with a four story tower dividing the house into two sides, one flanked with three stories of bay windows and the other side a three story square box. The home was atopped with a mansard roof. When it was finished, Pierce and his wife, Susan, moved into the home with their son, Frank. However, only two weeks after moving into the house, tragedy struck the Pierce family when Susan contracted a flesh-eating bacteria that resulted in her death. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. I know. Devastated, Pierce and his young son mourned her passing. However, just a year later, Pierce married another woman named Ellen, who was 30 years younger than he was. Scandal. Whoa. While Pierce and his new wife were enjoying the new house, Pierce was also enjoying the newfound friends that his wealth and success had attracted. He and Ellen had several guests to his home, including President Calvin Coolidge, when he was still just a senator, and James A. Bailey from the Barnum and Bailey Circus fame. It was also said that Norman Rockwell had painted at the house at one point, but I don't think that, that was during Sylvester Pierce's lifetime. Yeah, and Norman Rockwell surprises me because he's such a happy, cheery dude. Yeah, I know. To go to that place, it's like... Oh. He's like, uh, I don't think I'm getting inspired to his, paint. His walk on the wild side. Yeah. During the course of their marriage, Ellen Pierce gave birth to two boys, Stuart and Edward, giving Pierce three sons in total. However, the happiness in the home did not last long when in 1888, Pierce passed away, leaving Ellen to raise the three boys alone. Not long after his death, Ellen too passed away. Her death resulted in the house passing to the three sons who constantly bickered over who should have the rights to the house as well as their father's business. That's why you should always have a will. Mm, that's right. And clearly define it. 
After the Great Depression hit, the furniture business went under and Pierce's youngest son, Edward, gained control of the house. His two older brothers moved away. After Edward moved in, tragedy struck his family when his two-year-old daughter, Rachel, died also of a bacterial wow. infection. Everybody's dying in the house. I don't know what's going on it's with people. It's another death house. And bacterial infections in this house. It's yeah. very strange. Maybe there's something in the chair factory that comes to the house. Oh. That, I don't know. Yeah. Some lie or something. I don't know. As the Great Depression made times hard for the Pierce family, Edward decided to turn the mansion into a boarding house in order to afford its maintenance. Many interesting characters moved into the house, and the place became a spot that was known for gambling, prostitution, and even murder. Rumor had it that a prostitute had been strangled to death in a second-floor bedroom decorated all in red known as the Red Room. That wasn't the only strange red death in the room, house. Red Room. <laughs> That wasn't the only strange death in the house. On April 9th, 1963, a man named Eno Sari, an immigrant from Finland, burned to death in his bed in the master bedroom. The fire didn't harm the room, just the mattress, and of course, Sari. This led some to believe that Sari died by spontaneous combustion. Sounds like it to me. I know. Now, with such a rich history, you can absolutely suspect that this home is haunted. YouTube channel Realm Explore posted a video tour of the home. The tour guide, Marion, showed the cameraman through the home and told them bits and pieces of its history, as well as some of the paranormal events the house has experienced. Marion said that they have 11 confirmed spirits haunting the S.K. Pierce house. The first of the 11 spirits is Rachel, Edward's daughter that had died in the house as a two-year-old little girl. The second spirit is Gordon, who Marion said was a boy that drowned in a pond down the street, but stays at the house for some reason. Marion has a photo of the real Rachel as well as photos of the ghost version of Rachel. In one photo, Rachel is seen peering into a camera in one of the bathrooms, and in another, she is running past the foot of the stairs. The photos do look like her, but in some of them, she's too blurred out to tell. The photo of Rachel running by the stairs shows an additional apparition on the stairs, which appears to be of an adult. And in yet another photo, two guys are posing for a selfie with what looks like there's a third person standing behind them with no face and a skin-colored point coming out of his head. Oh, <laughs> It's a weird. rather weird photo. Gordon, the dead little boy, has been seen many times in the dining room windows. In one instance, he was seen by the neighbor boy. He was waving at the neighbor boy to come over to play. When the neighbor boy showed up with his mom at the front door of the mansion and told the owners that he was there to play with their son, the owners informed them that they do not have any children. The neighbor boy tried to explain that he had seen the boy in their window, but the owners didn't know what to tell him. So he and his mother left. Gordon has been seen by many people in the windows of the home. Even though Marion has a lot of good paranormal stories about the house, she was able to debunk some of the myths as well. Marion said that there was never any proof of a prostitute being murdered in the Red Room. However, previous owners, Ed and Lillian, did find a pelvic bone of a 16-year-old girl wow. in the kiln in the basement of the house. If there was never any prostitutes murdered in the home, this finding is a little strange, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> also, Marion did confirm that Eno Sari did burn to death in the bedroom neighboring the Red Room. She said that Eno had been working on a car that day and had some kind of accelerant on his body that he did not wash off. He climbed onto the bed, lit up a cigarette, and fell asleep. And, well, the rest is history. No spontaneous combustion. Oh. Thanks a lot, Marion, for ruining our Yeah, film. no, we, we think it's paranormal. I don't believe you. 
Um, despite debunking these myths, however, Marion had plenty of other paranormal stories to share. One of the most haunted rooms in the house is indeed the Red Room. Marion said that both Susan and Ellen Pierce died in that Red Room. She also said that when the renovators of the house would sleep in the Red Room, they would feel something crawl into bed with them. The door would slam shut and the fan would turn on. Marion said that one night, Ken, the main renovator of the home, was by himself in the house. When he went to bed in the red room, he felt something crawl into bed with him and spoon him. He <laughs> said it was the best night of sleep he ever had. I'm sure it was. <laughs> I'd be too freaked out to do anything. No way. <sighs> I believe Marion was a friend of one of the couples, Ed and Lillian, that had previously owned the home. She said that they had bought the home because they're a fan of the old Victorian architecture. But they left the house because the paranormal activity drove them out. Marion said Ed and Lillian were not believers in the paranormal before they moved in. However, they had relayed all of their stories to Marion, and she was passing these stories along on the tours. The couple had several stories of paranormal experiences. They heard voices, saw apparitions, and everything else that comes with the classic haunted house. One day, Ed was working in his office, which had been the Pierce's nursery. Ed was at his desk when he looked over and saw a man or spirit of a man drift up out of the floorboards, hover and look at him, and then descend back down into the floor. <laughs> Ed was aghast and didn't know what to do. So he walked across the street to the pizza restaurant that his friend Chris owned. He told Chris what had just happened to him. He said he saw a man with scraggly hair, a white shirt, and blue overalls just float up out of his floor in his house. Chris said, no way. We just had a customer die of a heart attack over here, and that's exactly what he looked like. <gasps> so Ed drew up an image of what he had seen and showed it to Chris. That's crazy. Chris verified that that was the man who had died in his restaurant just before Ed had come over. The date was April 9th, 2009, which is the same date that the man burned to death in the house in 1963. That is insane. Weird, right? That is not a coincidence. That is something odd yeah. going on. One morning, Ed's wife, Lillian, said she woke up and she felt compelled to immediately go downstairs and dig around in the basement. <laughs> she grabbed a shovel and went downstairs and started digging away in the kiln. She sifted through the ashes until she hit something solid. She uncovered a human bone. She showed it to her husband, who took it to the doctor the next day. The doctor told them that the bone was a female pelvic bone of a 16-year-old girl. The family eventually gave the bone to the team from Ghost Hunters, who said they would give it to the cops. But the tour guide said they haven't heard anything about it since. Yeah, no, it's I know where it is. It's in Zach Zach's Baggins Museum. Museum. <laughs> right? <laughs> Marion indicated that the basement is one of the most active in the entire house, and she personally has been hit by rocks thrown at her from an unseen forest near the kiln. No way. Why yeah. would you live in that house after all of that? According to Marion, on Ed and Lillian's final night in the home, Lillian woke up on her bed and she could not move. Something was holding her down in bed. She called for her husband, Ed, to help her. Ed ran into the bedroom. Lillian told him she couldn't move. Something was holding her down. Ed tried to pick her up and he couldn't. His wife was being pinned by something incredibly heavy. After a few attempts of getting Lillian off the bed, Ed finally grabbed the covers she was laying on and started pulling her towards the floor. When she finally hit the floor, whatever was holding her down let her go and she was able to get up. Lillian told Ed she wanted to leave the house for good. She was done. Yeah, that's terrifying. The next morning, Ed woke up to the sound of crying. He turned over and saw a woman in a white dress levitating above the floor, crying and looking out the window. 
and woke up Lillian and said, oh yeah, we are done. (laughs) (laughs) They got up, packed everything up and gave Marion the key and told her to take care of the house. That was 11 years ago and they've never been back. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they did leave. I believe when people have to leave their homes, I believe that's a true haunting because most people don't have the constitution to deal with crazy stuff like that to them at night and in the basement especially i mean come on you're finding human remains that's a bad sign (laughs) that's a real bad sign really bad (laughs) not only did ed and lillian have scary stories about the house but marion's nephew had a creepy story too when he was an eight-year-old boy the house had been abandoned and uninhabited he and some friends from the neighborhood broke into the house they were playing hide and go seek he decided to hide in the closet of the nanny's room. As he was waiting to be found, something inside the closet grabbed his shoulders and pushed him out and screamed, get out. (laughs) He ran out of the house at full speed and went home. Marion said her nephew is now 38 years old. He has been to Iraq three times and has been shot at, but he will still not go back into the S.K. Pierce mansion. (laughs) (laughs) And it's always um, hide and go seek games. I think I I told a story when I was playing hide and go seek in a friend's creepy old house. Um, Ghosts love it when you play hide and go seek. Because they get you alone in a dark closet. And they want to play the game too. They sure do. Marion herself is a ghost hunter. She said the third floor is also quite active. It's where the servants' quarters were kept and Mr. Pierce's billiard room. Marion claims to have seen a shadow man on the third floor several times. She said he will squish himself down and scurry across the floor. Marion said in one of the bedrooms, when the door is closed, you can hear two women talking out in the hall. But if you open the door and step into the hall and then close the door to the bedroom, you will hear them talking in the bedroom. Okay, this is like a fun house or crazy... This yeah. is like a portal. Yeah. There are Maybe. so many spirits there. Maybe. There's a lot. Marion also confirmed that someone had committed suicide in the bathroom on the third floor. Now, the other room on the third floor was the billiards room where Mr. Pierce had his fancy, wealthy male friends come to visit. Marion said one night she was downstairs with a few others working on, she called table tipping, which I think was just meant to be a seance. I think oh, she's just talking about a seance. Yeah, it used to be, yeah, what they would call seances yeah. when somebody was trying to perform a right. trick, have the spirit tilt the table. She, yeah, in the video she called it table tipping, but as she goes on with the story, it sounds like they were having some kind of a seance. Yeah. She said the table started slamming into the safe. They started to look around the safe, and in the woodwork behind the safe, they found a skeleton key. They put the key on the table and asked the spirits, what does this key go to? The table tapped out nine. Well, there are 54 doors in the house. The only door it fit was the billiard room, which is room number nine in the house. (gasps) Numerology number nine. Number nine again. I'm scared right now. Yeah, you should be. Um, The billiard room has a special closet in it called the rape closet. Okay, that's not cool. No. Why is it called that? Marion said during her caretaking of the house, she has had somewhere between 200 to 300 psychics come to investigate it. She said every single one of them will either not go into that closet or cannot stay in that closet. They told Marion that horrible stuff happened in that closet. She said that one psychic picked up that there would have been a mattress on the floor at one point, And yet another psychic said there had been a woman hanging on the hook inside the closet. So that's why they call it the rape closet. So if it's true that some dark torture did indeed happen in this home, it stands to reason that many things may have happened, but were never uncovered in the light of day. 
That's an amazing haunted story. Yes. I mean, I was not prepared for that. I'm all still, that crazy I still stuff. To, I still have more to say. There's still more to tell you. Yes. Well, go on. In addition to all of these stories at the S.K. Pierce mansion, many ghosts have been seen, including S.K. Pierce himself, his wife, Susan, his son, Edward, and the nanny, Maddie Cornwell. A murdered prostitute was also believed to be seen, if that story is true, and burn victim, I know, sorry. Many people who have visited the home have heard disembodied voices and footsteps, seen apparitions, moving furniture, slamming doors, felt dramatic temperature changes, smelled terrible odors, and have heard a lion's roar shake the house. So uh, S.K. Pierce was a Freemason, and he liked to have carved lion images all throughout the house because oh, they saw okay. it as a sign of protection. Okay, I was, I was, that was the only thing I was thinking. Like, yeah. I wonder where the lion is That's why is they think the from. lion roar is from that. Some people have felt pushed by unseen hands down the staircase or towards open windows. Many ghost hunting shows have investigated the property, such as Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, and My Ghost Story. Several books have been written about the house as well, such as Haunted Massachusetts, Bones in the Basement, Surviving the S.K. Pierce Haunted Victorian. The house is quite frequently seen as the second most haunted house in Massachusetts and the ninth most haunted house in the United States. So second most haunted house in Massachusetts, my guess is number one is the Lizzie Borden, but I'm not oh, sure about that. But that would probably. be my guess. Probably. In 2015, the property was acquired by a company called Dark Carnival, which offers tours and overnight stays. During the month of October, they offer a Halloween experience in which those who are brave enough to buy tickets will be able to explore the basement of the home and be able to, quote, travel through the bowels of the mansion, encounter 30 to 35 of our trained actors, high-end illusions and animations, and may even get a glimpse of the truly paranormal, end quote. On their website, they also have the following disclaimer, quote, This attraction is not for the faint of heart. There is a good possibility that you will witness paranormal activity. The entities in this mansion are extremely advanced and have demonstrated a unique ability to impose their will physically on guests. For this reason, a detailed injury waiver must be signed by each guest prior to experiencing the SK Haunted Victorian Mansion. Please do not behave in an antagonistic manner towards these entities at any time. Zach. As you may be placing yourself and other guests in danger, end quote. That's quite the disclaimer. Very so, ominous. For $27 a ticket, you too can sign your life away to mm. perhaps a possession or some yeah. kind of terrible experience in this house this October. No, thank you. Because we know ghosts can follow you home. If you do decide to go to this dark carnival mansion experience and you want to let us know how it went we'd love to hear from you so please let us know mm -hmm. i would love it <laughs> so that is the sk pierce mansion that is a crazy awesome haunted story one of the most and i'm haunted sorry houses. i tried to end it for you but i had no idea there was still more <laughs> there wasn't too much more there's more and more and more. lots of haunted experiences there and this woman there's a lot of videos um on youtube about different paranormal investigators that go there and videotape themselves and then it's always this marion chick who's walking people through and talking about it there's new owners now at this dark carnival people apparently but yeah it's kind of crazy but to look at the house you if you're a little kid in that town and you don't know anything about the history of that house you look at it and go that house is haunted i yeah, mean it screams it's a, me. it's a perfect haunted house it screams haunt me it I'm, looks just like a haunted house i'm glad they turned it into a haunted attraction me too so anyway, that's it for tonight. 
Go ahead. Testing. One, two, three. Does it look like it's moving? Yeah, the numbers are moving and the red light is on. That makes it a recording, I think. Did you ever watch Walking Dead? Yeah, I couldn't get into it. When's that checks mix coming? I know, it'll come soon. Okay, good. Next time we record, I'll have it ready for you. Yeah, I missed my candy corn. I know. Particularly chairs. (laughs) I'll say that again. However, just to... (laughs) Sorry. I got it. I got it on my teeth. As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts and all dolls are definitely haunted. Hey guys, be sure to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Fireside Phantoms. If you have a spooky story you would like to share with us, send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode.